This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Let's fuck this shit. It's only game. Why do you have to be mad? Well, hi. I'm so glad to have you here with us. Well, with me on this very special edition of Puck Bunnies, where it's just one Puck Bunny. But I am joined with Peg City beat writer, the famous Winnipeg Murat. Murat, say hi. Hi. Hello, Puck Bunny and everyone who's listening as well. So tell me, are you a, just an icicle right now? Like, what's the situation up, up there? Um, I guess I'm supposed to be cold on account of it being Winnipeg. Oh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I have a, a delightful collection of sweaters. I have a dog that's halfway on my lap. Um, I have four walls around me, and that kind of sounded like a lyric. I don't know, but I'm warm. I'm totally <laughs> I got a good life here, especially with Clyde over onto my side. Pretty much the only things I know about you are that you live in you live in Winnipeg. You have a just an adorable foster dog, mm-hmm. and also you uh, write very analytically focused articles on hockey. I mean, I think you might have the perfect life. What about you? <laughs> um, you know what? Yeah, I've come a long way since my youth, <laughs> and uh, I get to do a lot of the things that I love. I get to pet a dog. I get to watch hockey. I get to talk about those two things a lot. I don't know if you've noticed on Twitter where like every day I tweet a Clyde and like there are some very diehard analytical hockey folk who are progressively getting (laughs) upset with the quantity of Clyde content at this point. I I hope that uh, the charting, uh, I hope Micah does like a heat map of Clyde posts. Those awful, like, they kind of scare me a little bit. Like, I don't really know what any of them mean. And so it's like looking at hieroglyphics and I'm like, (laughs) "Uh, this unsettles me. And some of them look like weird Renaissance era art. So yeah, do you see the one that kind of went around looking like a woman's form? Oh my goodness, got to send you that one or else this isn't going to make sense at all. But No, 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 no. Audrey and I are very familiar with the rink titties that he is constantly posting. <laughs> this is a family website. You have to put those away. I don't care how potent they are. <laughs> Quite a lot of threat, I suppose. But I think that what he should do is he should find a way to code one that comes out looking like a dog with like floppy ears on the side too. Because the heat maps can do anything. And I want a cloud map. We can prove anything in the world with a heat map. That's going to be my new just like theory. Just proving my insane ideas about hockey via stats that I pull out of my own ass. Deal. Yeah, just get just buy a team and get them only to shoot. I can see it now like only to shoot from like an oval shaped section of the ice 
on either side. Just like get them on board, basically, is what I'm saying. And they need to commit. They need to be like the Bruins. Like you're gonna sign a team friendly contract and you're gonna skate in the direction <laughs> that I tell you to for my heat maps. <laughs> exactly. Teams have like dogs on staff and you're seeing those adorable little like locker room, dressing room videos of dog content. Now I feel like, you know, the next level analytically would be that. Exactly. Well, (laughs) so I thought that for like all of the last season, I thought that the team dogs were like, they they it was like a classroom pet. It actually (laughs) belonged to them. Not that it was like a good cause. And I was kind of sad when I found out that like, they don't just have the dog forever. It's not like a firehouse dog. You know, sometimes we have to do stuff for charity. So I I guess it's fine. (laughs) But so how did you how did you sort of get into this? Like, it, it seems like because of the section of hockey Twitter that I that I'm on, it seems like everyone's super into analytics and everyone is is very numbers and and stats focused like you are. But I just wonder how you in particular got to be at this point doing this for the the Winnipeg Jets just in your career. Okay, wow, that is. Uh... Listen, I'm gonna be super real with you right now. I got lost like halfway through that question. <laughs> It's it's such a long and convoluted story, which I think is the case for so many people. Especially, like I don't have a journalism degree. I should say that at this point. Good. Yeah. So I I, I learned none of the lessons that uh, a lot of other people maybe have learned growing up. So my thing basically is this: I, I I love writing. I'm a passionate writer. I wrote travel stories and sort of like did the I'm cruising through Europe selling little books of my travel collections and that's how I get onto the train and go to the next town sort of thing for a few months of uh, a couple years in a row there. I'm sorry are are you like Don Quixote? That's such a great story to tell so casually but go on go on. It's this whole chapter it has nothing to do with hockey admittedly. Good. Back when I was in university I would often not go to class and I would often spend all of that time looking up like what was analytics for hockey at that point because I was an obsessive. I I remember a year, I would say it was like 2004, 2005, the lockout. I moved into, like it was like my first, it was supposed to be the party house. We had all these speakers and amps and there was a dunk <laughs> it and it was all this. Yeah, we were so cool. Our hair was so long and beautiful then. And Mine was too in 2004. I was in uh, sixth grade. Well, I was, I think, 18 <laughs> or 19, and I wanted to watch hockey all of the time, and we got center ice with, like, our eight remaining dollars, and then they canceled <laughs> the season on us. So we were like, what do we do? And I found a whole bunch of hockey nerds online talking about things like who plays how many minutes against who, um, which defensive pairings play against the centers, all that sort of stuff. People were already doing that kind of back then. Mm-hmm. Did the degree, did not use the degree for real life. I have an environmental science degree. Went traveling, and then a weird thing happened where uh, somebody who read my travel stories, Pat McLean, one of my absolute heroes, the funniest writer that I know that also writes hockey, he read my travel stories because some of them were set in Ireland. He's got Irish family. We went out for beers, and then it turned out that he played beer league hockey with Myrtle. Oh, my God. When Myrtle was looking to expand into Winnipeg for the athletic, I had just come off of, I'm going to say, like six months of not working because I had a concussion and I couldn't do anything but right. So Myrtle gets this like reference being like, hey, Murat's a cool dude, had a beer with him. Um, I've read his stories. He's a good storyteller and he can do the math stuff. At least talk to him. He talked to me. At b- and he is concussed, but it's okay. He's fine now. Exactly. <laughs> he can play. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I, I wasn't even telling anybody about the concussion at that point. Because I was so nervous that that would somehow influence my ability to like get the job or do something with that. 
it's hard to impress anybody with your writing when you've got like post concussion stuff going on. Also, I got to freelance for a while and I was only writing once every few weeks at the beginning. And so I got better as the amount of work that they wanted increased and it just sort of shook out. That's a whole bunch of threads. I'm sorry for the amount of threads, but it's a lot of them. No, I mean, I, I always find it so fascinating to hear the story of how people got to where they are, especially just from the writers that I we've had on the show from The Athletic, like Allison and Sarah. They all got to where they want to be in such random ways. I will say that your story does sound like a C plot from like season three of Gilmore Girls. And I think that you know that's true. Oh, wow. You're going to invoke Gilmore Girls. Okay, can we talk about how Emily Gilmore was the strongest character on that show by far? Can we talk about that? Can we never stop talking about that? So I watched Gilmore Girls like as an adult. And so I think that maybe that kind of fucked me up because <laughs> I like I was watching the show and I'm like, Emily's she's right. Lorelai sucked. I, I would have been kind of glad that she ran away. Like she was awful. And she consistently gave like the best advice and was always right. It was it, Emily should have more rights. Absolutely. Strong, strong woman. And poor her with the whole Richard thing. And anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, who do you think on the Winnipeg Jets right now has seen at least one season of Gilmore Girls? So I was talking to them for the players' poll, and her. Wait, is it her? You. When everyone has a sort of like creepy pseudo stalkery relationship as the premise of the mm -hmm. show, is that you? Yes, you. Okay. You. Um, I, I guess that they're all addicted to that right now. And when I was asking people that, I felt like I'm going to say probably some of the older players had tastes that sort of made more sense to me, the old. And I'm going to guess if somebody on that team has seen a season of the Gilmore Girls, it is Brian Little. Interesting. He's got a little bit of everything. If I remember his answers, he like he wanted to know what was like culturally relevant. He wanted to know what the what the kids were listening to. He wanted all of the different things. That's who you go to. So something that I love about your writing and a lot of a lot of other people's writing now is like they realize that people want to know about who the players are as people. So like the players poll was great because I'm fascinated to see what they're doing in their spare time because they're like bashing their bodies into each other for like six hours every day. They have to do something with their battered bodies during the, uh, the their spare time. So it's fun whenever you find out about guys like that or like Jason Demers or something who is, is super into music. I love it when people can multitudes. Speaking of containing multitudes, I feel like you're probably having some fun because I feel like the Jets have contained multitudes of storylines this season. Check out that segue. That like was that. a killer segue, yeah. Thank you. Let's all acknowledge that right now. And thank you for it. You've had a lot to write about recently. I, I did a quick scan of your articles that you've written over the past couple of weeks, and I'm like, God damn. It's like the Winnipeg Jets are like the real housewives <laughs> of the NHL right now. Like, can they get it together? Well, from day one, from before day one uh, of this season, in August, I sort of noticed that Dustin Bufflin wasn't skating in the beauty league, the Minnesota right. rec league that he normally participates in. And they keep like online stats and all this. So why is, why is Dustin Bufflin not skating? Okay. Um, we're about to find out that he's considering retirement and might not play for the entire season. Oops. In and around that time, two of the Finnish kids, Sami Niku and Christian Veselainen, were in um, a car accident, a minor one, on their way to a, a practice at the Iceplex in Winnipeg just during camp. Before camp starts, you've got Patrick Liney supposedly complaining about playing so much with Brian Little, though 
he was just complaining about not getting first line time without naming names. There's this whole PR thing in and around that. And that is maybe a third of the things that happened before the season started. All the injuries, <laughs> the trades. Um, and it's it's been just a roller coaster of things outside of the context of actual hockey. And then meanwhile, they've managed to survive that. And that's why I think it's great drama, because it has nothing to do with the sport, and I can follow it obsessively without really <laughs> knowing what a fourth check is. And it seems like at least one of those threads is going to be sort of coming to a close pretty soon with the Bufflin contract. Um, is that an ellipsis? That was my bait to say more things about <laughs> Bufflin? It's like we're doing Lady and the Tramp, and then you didn't like finish my spaghetti. Oh my god, I'm so fucking embarrassed. The reason I want to talk about this is so right around the time that like it, this contract recently came back up in the news, his I follow his wife on Instagram because I love her and she posted this picture with him and I was like, oh, <laughs> like I felt really bad because I'm like, oh, I don't think he's, I don't think he's coming back. And then no articles mentioned that picture and I felt like such a bitch for being like, wow, Dustin is not in shape. I just want to atone for that to you and to all of our listeners. So I'm sorry. But there is like a lot of good news about his contract getting wrapped up, right? Yeah, I, I guess like your read was probably the right one because the, the, the news officially is that he, you know, he hasn't necessarily rehabbed all the way to the point where he's skating aggressively or about to return to the ice. And um, Winnipeg has been cash- not cash-strapped, cap-strapped for the entirety of the season because mm -hmm. they had to prepare themselves for the possibility that his suspension for not attending training camp might be overturned. If it was overturned, the Jets would have had to have committed like some portion of his salary to, like they would have had to be accountable on the like, salary cap for that. So you, you would have noticed Winnipeg's defense has been awful for most of the season. <laughs> no, they're trying so hard. And they <laughs> are, so, and they're good people. I feel so tenderly towards like Neil. In my mind, I, I pronounce his name like Plonk. I don't think that's how it's it's actually said, but like that's how I say it. And he's skating insane minutes, right? He's there. He's been their number one defenseman over the course of this. Season. <laughs> and ideally, he was going to be number three or four because Bufflin would have been there and Josh Morrissey would have excelled. Um, but Neil Pionk has been who they've leaned on for sure, and they haven't been able to make meaningful additions. They added Lucas Pisa via waivers. Anthony Potato was a July signing at like league minimum. They claimed Carl Dahlstrom on waivers as well. These are eight out of the 11 guys that have played defense for the Winnipeg Jets this season make a million dollars or less in raw salary because they were so caught up in the possibility that they might have to pay Bufflin or be accountable for his cap hit. At this point, he's not coming back. He's not going to be a Winnipeg Jet. That much is known. So the Jets and Bufflin's party, okay, his grievance of his suspension that's out the window now is my understanding and they're working to mutually terminate that contract before they do that i think winnipeg's actually trying to scrape like a, a depth pick or some sort of asset back for him uh, shopping him around uh, to other teams just in case somebody will give them something and just in case another team wants to bet like a fourth round pick on the idea that he'll play next season. But you had a really interesting point in your article about this whole situation about the cap space that they're going to have that they could do something where they basically ship him off. They offload his shitty contract on somebody else and then in exchange for that, somehow they could, Justin could be used to offset someone else's cap hit and then get an asset back for him. Does that make sense? Is that what you said? Close. The thing I was going for oh, was... Sorry. I'm so sorry. Because they're free of his cap hit now and can be confident that, I mean, because cap hit builds up every single day and they've spent right. so much of the season 
not having to have his cap hit build up. As soon as they move on from him, whether that contract is just they agree to terminate it or they trade him, all of that space, all that money that they weren't paying him over the season is going to build up and be usable for Winnipeg to add contracts at the deadline. Got it. Most good teams or playoff like cut line teams like the Jets are don't have a ton of cap space because the Jets held off on replacing Bufflin with anyone real um, or anyone whose salary was real, I, I should say. They've built up so much space that they could go shopping. They could take that James Neal bad contract or that and get somebody useful at the same time in a way that maybe other teams can't. That makes a lot of sense. I have to wonder, and I'm sure there's no way to like really ever know just because of how tight-lipped all this stuff is. I don't understand how they were able to keep these negotiations so quiet for so long. Was it genuinely up in the air that he was, was it genuinely on the table that he would come back? Because it really seems like now, hindsight 2020, that he obviously wasn't going to come back. My read, and like you say, like they've done a great job of not saying anything on the record, no leaks, none of that sort of stuff. Which makes me think it's very mutual, which is weird, you know, because he put them in such a bad spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that, that's a great, I think that's a great read because it, it's the way that I see it is I think that Dustin Bufflin was fairly sure that he wasn't going to play this season. He had a, mm-hmm. two ankle injuries last year. He's had concussion injuries in the past. He had a lingering ankle pain that led to surgery this fall as well for his ankle as well. I think he was pretty sure that he was done, whatever his his path was. But he met with Kevin Shovel Day off right before training camp was supposed to start. And my guess is Shovel Day off basically convinced them at least see how it goes, like at least see how you feel midway through the season. You might miss it if you got to retire, if you got to move on, do your thing, but give it some time. And then it, I, I think as well. It's interesting just the timing of the date when that mutual termination kind of came out. It was the exact two-thirds point of the season, which is only significant for cap reasons and for preparing for the trade deadline reasons. But it seems to me that Shovel Day off and Bufflin had maybe a date or a deadline in mind where it's like, okay, by such and such a date, oh, we've given you all this time. You're probably not coming back, but please. And then after that, that's what the situation that the Jets are in now. To me, that is such a like fascinating ploy on the front office's point of view because they're basically betting that much cap space on you know, Winnipeg's forwards being able to compensate and, and sort of switch the entire way that they're playing to compensate for their lack of, of having any depth on the blue line. Like that is that is a wild decision, but I guess that's what he had to do. Yeah, and I think it maybe was easier for him to do that when Connor Hellebuck was just having like a Vezina caliber season for the ages, especially in the first half of the season as well. Like the Jets were banking points and their poor five on five sort of metrics hadn't caught up to them quite yet at that stage. So it was, yeah, I agree with you. If our read on it is right, it was a hell of a gamble, like a hell of a gamble. And then I think it was yeah. made a little bit easier because of early results. Now we're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Baseball opening day are really coming up, guys. And Bet Online has you covered for all of your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. And the best part is, if you sign up, you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus. Head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That promo code is BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. 
Okay, so I have to say I do have a little, I have a horse in this race. So for both of my fantasy leagues, I accidentally drafted Justin Bufflin. I I had in our auto draft and I just, I don't know why I was cursed with this. And so I have been following the situation very closely and I just didn't understand how it had gone on this long. But I'm, I'm so happy that like he's able to take a take a well-earned retirement because holy shit i had no idea how long he'd been in the nhl and i think it's going to be super exciting to see the trade deadline acquisitions but i know that columbus also has a ton of money (laughs) yeah they're one of the other ones yeah for sure can i interrupt and ask you what your fantasy hockey team names are because i feel like there has to be something clever or silly there so i change it a lot just because it's based on my mood it's like a mood ring I got kicked out of the other fantasy league because I did not update it enough. My fantasy hockey team's name is Depressed and Bad at Fantasy. So oh. it's actually this is actually not that that good of a joke. It's just uh, it's just a report. Sounds like you went literal. Sorry to disappoint you. Did you ever watch? Do you know what Homestar Runner is? Uh, yeah. Sometimes I check the email. <laughs> So for years I played fantasy basketball and for and every year my team's name was Teen Girl Squad. I was the only girl in the league. Anyway, that's a story that nobody needed to hear, but I think you should make like Blake Wheeler watch some strong bad emails. I feel like he would like it. He needs a laugh. I'm so worried about him. I worry about him all the time. What are your worries? I feel like he's carrying this team on his extremely broad and strong back. But I understand probably the, not understand. I'm sure he's under a lot of pressure because this is sort of cup window closing in terms of how good he's going to be and how well he's going to be able to play. I don't think that's too terribly far off. Like, so he's in the first year of five years where he's making this, I think, 8.25 million. Like, this is a huge contract for him that he mostly earned by being one of the best five on five players in the world, like best four or five in the NHL for a decade. Uh, And then just now, most of his points are on the power play that he runs and he's not quite as dominant at five on five. And you're going to start to see over the next few years, like he's not going to be elite for you know and he's going to progressively get worse and worse and yet he's the captain of that team they're going to live and die by him and for as long as he and and mark shifley's window i guess as long as they're both good the jets theoretically if they have a defense anyway have a shot oh wait okay i have a question about his stats really Mm -hmm. quick so are his five on five numbers getting affected by the kind of defense that the or that by the kind of offense that the jets are having to shift to to make up for their blue line like Oh, heck yeah. They're not playing as offensive anymore. So, like, I don't see as a decline. I see a shift in strategy, like, where he's scoring all his points on the power play because that's the only time he's going to be able to score. <laughs> hey, that's a fair read, too, because... And, and I've talked to Paul Maurice about this as well, so it's not just you and me thinking it. The Jets have have shied away on the offense. The The big thing was they knew what their defense was. They knew who they lost. Right. They knew what quality was gone. And one of the things that they identified was that on the rush, they got outnumbered at their own blue line like way too many times last season, even when everybody was there. So their forwards have been coached more or less to to really peel back hard. Like a four will come back. There's three Jets spread out across the Jets' blue line in an attempt to have those numbers there. But if you're going to do that, that's one less forward that can be cycling down low in the offensive zone and committing and creating challenges and stuff like that. And Right. The line A spot. Like, he yeah. has to play defense now? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that was a great line. I think it was Sebastian Ajo. It was like, oh, yeah, I heard line A plays defense now. That's the big change. Oh. I hope who said that. 
That's so mean. I love him. I, you know what? I think it was literal, though. I mean, that's such a finished truth to just expound, right? Because it is mm-hmm. probably the literal truth of the situation dealt bluntly. So anyway, you're exactly right. Five on five Jets, it has all of that offense has been affected. Like most Jets have pretty terrible possession numbers this year. And I think it's... I'm glad that like Paul, my friend Paul, my close friend Paul understands that Blake is trying his best and that the numbers don't reflect how much he brings to the team because I think he's great. But I love watching interviews with him because I in hockey, I feel like there's this culture of a certain kind of coach who's just an asshole and doesn't really want to work with his players and kind of just wants to implement a system. And I feel like he is one of the more adaptive coaches. And also he just seems like a very kind and like thoughtful man. But I think that's rare in the NHL. So I, I would love to hear your take on him. Um, as a human being, uh, I can tell you stories for days about why I think he's a quality human being. My first-hand experience, I'm going to say this is the first time I was credentialed media to, to cover one of the press conferences or the second or like one of the first times. And I'm in the in like the rows of seating. It's like a classroom with him at the stage at the podium. Right. And the press conference is going on. All the other reporters are asking their various questions this is a few years ago now. And there's two microphones being passed around. The last question asker is sitting in front of me and I'm like patting him on the back, patting him on the back, trying to get his attention so I can grab the mic. He either doesn't notice me or chooses not to notice me or whatever. He's focused on what Paul is saying to him in terms of the answer. I try to flag PR down. They haven't seen me. Paul wraps up his answer. Everybody stands up in the room. And then Paul Maurice uh, like says, whoa, whoa, guys, don't leave yet. Don't you? Don't you have something that you want to ask? And then he gave me like three and a half minutes on, on the answers to the sort of stuff that I had there for him. So that's just a fundamentally decent thing to do in that moment because it was completely uncalled for and unnecessary. But it's like that little gesture just shows so much. Like he values the press. He wants everyone to be able to have their time. And it, it makes your job a lot easier to know that you have a, someone who's committed to working with you guys and giving you both what you need. Yeah, he does understand that. Like, I mean, he knows that his gift is communication, quotability and all that sort of stuff. And he makes sure that he gives you something you can use, even if he's not giving away a trade secret. Right. I ask a lot of analytical questions or system stuff. And sometimes I know that he's saying something that I can use as opposed to like something that would give away something necessarily. Right. He's like that trope of uh, the guy who's like meditating and like rotating a cube with his mind. That's what he's doing at all times. Just like, what a random person can I call up out of the Manitoba mooses to put on the blue line this week (laughs) because everyone else has died. Yeah. Also, whoa, uh, on the him being a decent human being thing, there is a story that you should read about Paul Maurice and Matt Legacy at The Athletic that I got to write because Matt Legacy was a Jets fan that uh, passed away of cancer this last year. In the spring, he, through some family friend, was able to make some sort of like, hey, please, could I, if, if there's anybody I could meet, and, and Paul Maurice got word of this outside of the Jets asking him to do it. Visited him in the hospital, uh, became friends with him, became friends with his family. And then the day was over. Paul Maurice left his phone number and started a text conversation with Matt for the next couple of weeks. He was texting him at the draft after the Jets chose Billy Hanel, the number one, like in the first round. Paul Maurice texted this guy, like a scouting report on him. Oh, my God. (laughs) He went to the funeral or the viewing, met friends and family, spent time with grandparents. You know what I mean? All because... 
I guess in wow. Maurice's words, they reminded him of his own family. Yeah, I'll, I'll criticize five-on-five five stuff for days, believe you me, and I, I do that at The Athletic and all that sort of stuff, but the human side of things, I, I completely admire the guy, for sure I do. Whenever I hear stories like that, if I think about, like, if I was, like, a rich athlete, I would just, I like, this is not me being a good person, it's just, it seems like it would be fun. I would just go to hospitals all the time, because, like, those are people who are so excited to see you, and so I love hearing stories like that. Absolutely it is, it's a great thing. Lightning round, a couple questions before we go. What is the weirdest thing that you've ever seen in Peg City? Hockey or not hockey? Hockey related. Uh, Mark Letestu chugging mustard packets? That's pretty gross. That's that's disgusting. Apparently electrolytes or something. Just straight up chugging mustard as fast as you can. I'm going to try that tomorrow. I'm getting kind of sleepy. I'm just going to chug some mustard and see if I get fired. And my last question for you is... What was the story that was sent to Myrtle? Like, what travel story was it? Like, where were you? Oh, wow. So I th- I wasn't part of the conversation where, where Pat shares with Myrtle the stories, but there's this two and a half week period where I visited Ireland about five years ago, where every single day something batshit crazy good luck for me happened. Okay. I was just tripping and falling into good things, free tickets to music festivals, uh, private tours of islands. I had a beer with a guy who was on Game of Thrones. I like, <laughs> I just like kept tripping and falling into this just magical. Everything went well, and I wrote about some of the. I wrote about those adventures. Yeah. I'm gonna put breaking in the title. Exclusive writer went to Ireland, had a great time. <laughs> who knew? What are the odds? What I like to imagine, I I would love to read the story. I'm sure it's lyrically written and it was a wonderful experience. But like my broken brain is imagining. Have you seen uh, 30 Rock? I have. Okay, you know how like John Hamm. (laughs) (laughs) Are you saying I walked around with a bubble and everything just worked out my way? Yeah, like you were bumbling through Ireland just being like, wow, everyone's so nice here. I'm having the best time. I can't believe people are just giving me all these free things. And meanwhile, I'm just like barely avoiding my own death or something like that. Yeah, like that's that's like a that's like a fun little spit on it. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on our little pod and tell us about working up in Peg City. I hope you've had fun. And this is the part of the podcast where you tell people to follow you. Follow me, people who listen to the podcast. It's WPG Murat, which is M-U-R-A-T. So it's WPG. M-U-R-A-T on Twitter. Is that your uh, radio voice that you do only for the radio? I feel like sports voice is a cliche, but then I catch myself doing it sometimes. Dude, it is, but there's a female version of sports voice, which is called customer service voice. What is customer service voice? Oh my God, I'll get on the phone. And if I, if it's on, if it's someone to like the bank, if it's anyone who I need to do me a service, my voice goes up like three octaves. I'll be like, um, (laughs) I just need to cancel this order. I don't know why. And every woman I know does it. It's like a sexy baby voice. It's the only way that we know how to get people to do stuff (laughs) for us. Okay, I have to stop talking, but this has been wonderful. Thank you for having me. This has been Puck Bunnies. See y'all next week. And Audrey will be back on. I did not kill her in Tennessee.